Welcome to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. On this episode of the podcast, we'll be discussing what it means to bear good fruit or bad fruit and how we can gain powerful insights into someone's condition of the heart through them. And on the in or out, I'd like to introduce you to a band called American Football and how one song's discussion of addiction offers a new and important take on the subject. All that headed your way as we give them the bold speak. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Bold Speak podcast. Very glad you can be with me as we continue uh, this study of condition of the heart, taking a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, today I'm excited because we have an opportunity to begin Lesson 8, and Lesson 8 is the final lesson of this study. And so that means that these next two podcasts, uh, this one and the one to follow, are going to serve as a bit of a capstone to everything that we have been discussing. Hopefully by the end of this, we'll have it all tied up in a way that will help you to realize what it means to live the gospel as the the people of God and understand what it means to be the church in the midst of your community. And those are all the things that Jesus has really been focusing on and addressing over the course of the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm excited to get into this with you. If you have the study guide in front of you, you can turn to page 32, and that's where we're going to begin. If you don't have a copy of the study guide, you can get that on our website, www.theboldspeak.com. There, if you go to the store, you can pick it up and have an opportunity to to take some notes and jot down some things that will help you to kind of connect the dots here throughout the rest of the study and will be especially helpful for you uh, as we get to lesson eight and and begin to try to tie a lot of these things up. All right, so I'd encourage you to grab that. We're also going to be getting into the Gospel of Matthew and a couple other places, Galatians and James. Uh, We're going to do that with the English Standard Version of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. If it is ESV, perfect. You'll be able to follow right along with me. If it's not English Standard Version, don't worry. Just grab the version that's closest to you, the version that you like the best, um, and use that. I'll give you all the verse references so you can follow along as closely as possible. And if you don't have access to a Bible right now, maybe you're driving or doing something else, uh, I will be reading these uh, portions of Scripture to you so that you can follow along there as well. All right, all the opportunities that we need to make sure we're diving into the Word of God and getting what we need. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into this. We're going to begin with a reading of Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Question 1 asks, what warning is being issued by Jesus? 
the warning here has to do with whether or not we are living out the desires and the will of God in the lives of other people. In other words, the question Jesus is asking is, are we living the gospel? Everything Jesus has spent so much time teaching us through Matthews chapter 5 and 6 and the first half of 7 has been all about living out that gospel life, being in relationship with other people, focusing on a significant relationship with God. It's been dealing with how we relate to other people. And now Jesus is saying, in other words, what you know about faith should be expressed and lived out. And, and by doing so, I'll be able to see and actually check the condition of your heart. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. And so if we make sure to pay attention and look at the fruit, then we'll have a better idea of, of where the condition of the heart, where the relationship with God, where that faith is of that particular individual. And so he gives us these warnings and even says, look, there's going to come a time when people are going to proclaim and shout out, you know, Lord, Lord, I followed you. And, and Jesus's question to them is going to be, but, but did you? All right, maybe you had the ideas, maybe you had the thoughts, maybe you had the theology downright, right? You, you knew the, the theology forwards and backwards. But did that thought process, did what's in your head ever make it to your heart? And that's an important question I think we have to ask. Has the ideas and, and the information, the knowledge we have about God, has that made its way to our heart? Have we turned knowledge into wisdom? Do we actually execute and live according to what we say we believe? And Jesus says that's an excellent assessment for the condition of our heart. Take a look at question two. Explain Jesus' analogy of the trees and fruit. Now, you'll see in the study guide, I've offered you opportunities to write things next to good tree and bad tree. And here's the analogy. Right? The good tree offers good fruit. In other words, when you say, hey, I believe that God desires to be in relationship with me. Right? I believe that God loves me. I believe that God has redeemed me by the blood of Jesus Christ and desires me to live that out. When you say you believe that, do you bear the fruit that shows you believe that? Right, the way I've discussed it many times is, is between right, a bowl and a pitcher. Right? A bowl is a vessel that is made and intended to receive. A pitcher is a vessel that's made to hold and then pour out to others. Do we see what we believe about God from the perspective of a bowl or a pitcher? When we go to worship, do we go just to receive or do we go to receive so that we may give freely to others? When you are pouring from your pitcher, you're giving good fruit. Good fruit coming from a good tree. Ideas and about God's love and, and everything that he offers being given out to others. That's the fruit we're looking for. That's the fruit that's going to show a healthy condition of the heart. The bad tree takes maybe that information in, but does nothing with it. Or the bad tree even refuses the information altogether and therefore doesn't treat people with the love and relational kind of realities that God desires of us. The question is, how is it that you're treating people? How is it that you're living out your faith? And in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it appears that this is a question that he is asking directly to the disciples, those that follow him, in relationship to the way that Pharisees and Sadducees have carried out their faith life. 
to them, they have all these ideas and knowledge about God. They have all their laws and things like that. And as a result, they have focused so much on the laws and right theology that they've stopped living it out in the lives of people. They have cast people away from them. They have told them they do not belong here. They do not belong in the church because they don't fit the paradigm that they themselves have set. Right? And so Jesus is asking for you to check your fruit. And this is a good, again, warning for us and a good assessment for us. Am I living what I say I believe? If I'm not, I have some work to do. And let's be honest, most of us struggle to bear good fruit. So let's keep going here and let's see how this is further developed in Scripture by going to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. Uh, In these verses, we're going to see Paul's insight in in keeping in step with the Spirit. In other words, what the Spirit is prompting us to do, are we actually executing on behalf of the Spirit? All right, so let's go ahead and read through this. This is, again, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Question 3. How can we apply this to the church today? What Paul's talking about here in keeping in step with the Spirit, he's saying, look, there's two kind of opposing forces within you. Right, there's the reality of your sinful nature, and your sinful nature desires to do that which you desire. Right? It desires to be your own God, to, to make the decisions that uh, give you personal pleasure. And so these are the things that, that are, as Paul says, they're evident. In other words, they're obvious. Right? We don't have to look too far to see these things. It's everything that that sinful part of us, that sinful flesh desires. Right? And then he goes through this huge list of sins, right? things that we do. And, and, and many of us can identify with a lot of these things because we know what it feels like to be tempted and we know what it feels like to give in. Right? So Paul says these things are evident. Right? But then he contrasts this with what he calls fruit of the Spirit, right? And there's a real important reality associated with fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is produced by the tree naturally, right? If I were to grow an apple tree outside, I wouldn't have to go up to the apple tree and gently ask it, you know, hey, apple tree, if you feel like producing apples this season, I would really love that. You know, if you're too busy, I get it, right? We don't, we don't do that. But an apple tree naturally produces apples. 
When it doesn't, we just simply assume that it's dead and cut it down. Right? This is the analogy that Jesus was giving. And so when Paul calls these things fruit of the Spirit, what he's saying is that these are the natural realities of, of what will happen in your life as a result of the Spirit's work in it. Right? In other words, the Spirit will prompt you to joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? The Spirit will move and motivate in you. Now, that's not to say that we won't still struggle because Paul very rightly points out this is a war an ongoing conflict inside of us that the flesh wants to do what we want to do the selfish things wants to bear bad fruit and the spirit inside of us wants to bear good fruit and so what paul's saying is like you just have to be kind of aware of that and conscious of that right check that see where things are at take note of the spirit's work in your life and is he prompting you to do something and if the spirit is do it follow through on that and this is why he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we proclaim faith in Jesus Christ, if we proclaim that God is working in our lives, then we should be executing on behalf of the Spirit within us. You should see the Spirit working in our lives. And if we don't, then there's some struggle going on that we need to address. And, and so this is Paul's advice in how to handle some of these things. All right, let's move on to the next question. Question four. What contrast is Jesus making between those who say they follow the will of the Father and those who do the will of the Father? Here to help us out, we're going to jump into James chapter 2, verses 18 to 21. And I want you to listen to what James says about those who say they follow the Father and those who actually follow the Father. James writes this, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Well, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? These verses are helpful in, in giving us some context and understanding for the distinction between what we believe and what we do. Now, this section of James is a little bit complex and many times confuses people because it sounds as if James is saying that we are saved by our works. But there's some clarification that needs to happen around the context of James. What James is dealing with is people who speak and say that they believe and follow Jesus Christ but don't ever actually act upon it. And so James is saying, look, when someone says that they believe something, how do you know whether they actually believe it or if they're just saying that they believe it, right? If someone says that I like, let's say, steak, but when that person is offered steak, they never take it, and you never ever see them eating steak, you would have reason to wonder, do they really like steak? In the same way, if you have a person who says, no, I believe in God, I follow God, yet you never see any action associated with their following of God. And when they're presented with opportunities to, to follow through on what God desires, making relationships, loving, caring for people, if they refuse, then you have reason to question whether or not they actually are following God. This is the point that James is trying to make. Right? He's saying, if you were to say to me, well, I have faith, and, and you have your works. Well, okay, show me your faith 
without works. How does that operate? How do you show me or give indication of your faith? How do you prove to me that you actually believe what you say you believe? How, prove that to me without works. You can't. It's impossible. Right? The works are the only way that you show what you actually believe. And this is a very important point. Right? You will always act in concert with what you believe. Always. The things that you value will drive your decision-making process. And so what James is pointing out here is saying, look, let's use Abraham as an example. Right? Abraham said he followed God. He said he believed in God. And throughout his life, what did we see? We saw failure after failure after failure. Times that Abraham made different decisions because he didn't trust the promise of God. Even the moment where Abraham decides to have an affair, an extramarital relationship with Hagar in order to produce an heir because he didn't trust in the promise of God that he would give it to him and Sarah. So over and over again, Abraham showed that he did not actually trust the promise of God until the moment he was willing to offer up his son Isaac on the altar. Right? Abraham and Sarah have been waiting so long for this child, and God wanted to see, all right, now that I've given you this child, is all of your focus, attention, and energy going to go to this child? Are you going to worship this child you've been waiting for for so long? Or will you continue to worship me and recognize that your son is a gift that I have given and can take away at any moment? And so when God says to Abraham, go, sacrifice your son Isaac, the son you've been waiting for for so long, and Abraham is willing to go and do it, what God sees is the actions that show his faith. That is why James says, was not Abraham our father justified? And by justified, he means, isn't there evidence behind his proclamation of faith on the basis of his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Abraham gave a demonstration of his faith when he was willing to sacrifice his son. This is the distinction that we need to make when we're talking about those who say they follow the will of the Father and those that actually do the will of the Father. What Jesus is looking for is people who live out that faith. Jesus wants a people that lives the gospel, doesn't just say it. He wants people that live out those relationships with people and live out forgiveness, don't just speak it. When we say things like, God loves you, Right? God forgives you, but I can't, and I don't want anything to do with you. We're not actually living out the gospel. Jesus didn't give us the gospel as just an idea. He gave it as something that we are called to execute, to live out in the lives of other people. And if we aren't, if we are incapable of that, if we are struggling with that, we need to recognize that that is a struggle with sin. There is something that is preventing us from living out that gospel life with others. Something that is preventing us from connecting with people in a real way. And so Jesus is calling us to look into that and to judge the condition of our heart on the basis of how we're living out the gospel. Let's get to question five. What is the hidden danger of those who, quote, sound like believers? The hidden danger is that when you just simply sound like a believer, people can believe that that's all faith is, is sounding like a believer. 
when people associate faith in, in Christianity simply with a viewpoint or a stance or an idea about something and not with the actions of love and the gospel, there's a real danger of people missing out on what Christianity actually is and thus living with a poor condition of the heart, believing that it's healthy. And that's a dangerous thing. See, the Pharisees had built up the church in such a way that people thought that following God simply meant understanding who God is and living according to the laws. But that is not what true faith in God actually is. And this is what Jesus is trying to explain to the people of the church in that day. Living a life of faith in God means living a life of gospel relationship with God and other people. That is what sits at the heart of what it means to be the church. Just sounding like a believer isn't enough. We need to live like believers. We need to live in relationship. We need to live in love. We need to live in grace and forgiveness. Don't just talk about forgiveness. Do forgiveness. Don't just talk about grace. Do grace. Don't just talk about mercy. Show mercy. That is how we live our life as the church. And to be honest with you, that's something I think lately I've seen within Christianity we struggle with. We have tied the idea of the church far too closely with an institution and an idea rather than the execution and living out of the love of the gospel and living that in, in grace and mercy toward others. And so this is what Jesus is trying to very intentionally explain to the church of that day and to us as his church today. Now, this idea of living out the gospel, I understand, isn't very easy. It's quite complex because the lives of people are very complex. Right? No one situation is simple, and this is why living out the gospel is rather difficult and complicated because it means we have to be in the lives of people. We have to actually invest ourselves in the lives of people. That's difficult. And taking note of the complexities of each situation is, is sometimes difficult because we lose perspective because we only really understand things from our own. And so sometimes it's good to hear things, to ask questions, to have discussions with people, to understand the complexity of each situation. Now, in that context, I want to introduce you to something today on the in or out. It's a song by the band American Football that addresses a complex situation like addiction from a very interesting and new perspective. So let's discuss that today on this edition of The In or Out. All right, young man, in or out? For those of you who know me on a personal level, you know that there are few things I love more than music. It's a special kind of passion that was ingrained into me from a very early age. In fact, some of my earliest memories are of watching my dad play music with his band at practice or at gigs. As a result, I'm always looking for the latest music releases to find something else to satisfy my craving for music that speaks to me, because that is what music does. Music has a way of conveying truths in a very unique way. The combination of words and melodies blend together to create something powerful that each on its own cannot. And this is especially true when dealing with difficult subjects like heartbreak, pain, and anger. This is probably why you hear so many songs focusing on those emotions. 
But every once in a while, you hear a song that, that strikes a different chord, addressing certain issues with a, a kind of complexity that you didn't expect. I recently heard just such a song, and it's been ringing in my head ever since its release. The song is Uncomfortably Numb by the band American Football. The song focuses on the complexities of addiction, in this case, alcoholism, a subject that honestly isn't entirely new to the music scene. However, what makes this song stand out is the fact that rarely do we hear from the other parties involved. Songs about the struggle with addiction often only speak to the fight of the one addicted, and often don't give a voice to the spouse or children that are also affected. In American football's Uncomfortably Numb, they do. After the lyrics convey a family history of alcoholism and the battle that the song's protagonist faces to feel anything in the midst of his addiction, we begin to hear from the wife. Guest artist Haley Williams of Paramore fame chimes in with a beautiful description of the struggles of a spouse in handling a loved one's battle with alcohol and the heartbreak of watching a relationship descend into numbness. Give it a listen. Notice two things that I feel are very important about these words. First, she recognizes her own failings in the relationship and how she mishandled her treatment of the situation, singing, We were gentle to begin, then I pushed you around to break you in. The raw honesty of the song allows the space for the listener to remember that these situations are never clear-cut. There are always multiple parties involved, and the complexity of these relationships should always be considered when addressing situations like addiction. In this particular narrative, it appears that the wife is admitting that she was maybe in some ways aggressive or controlling, and as a result, it created a distance between them that is making the situation exponentially more difficult. And that is the other powerful statement in this section of the song. She also sings, now whenever I try to be clear with you, I only end up feeling see-through. The end result of the aggressive approach has led them to a point where the one struggling with alcoholism no longer listens and has distanced himself. The end result is that any attempt at vulnerability between them or clear conversation to address the addiction is now ineffective and ignored. Addressing the complexities of alcoholism from both sides is a powerful way to add a new voice to the conversation on addiction. For those of you who are familiar, and unfortunately statistics show that quite a few of you are, you know that these things are never as clear-cut as many would like to think that they are. There are always multiple people who suffer and struggle when one person faces addiction, and songs like this are a good reminder to tread those waters carefully and to not oversimplify battles with addiction. As the church, we must remember that Jesus addressed difficult issues head-on by using the gospel as the primary driver. 
Yes, addiction can lead to bad behavior and a multitude of sins, but we must always keep our eyes focused on two important purposes. First, we must address the sin involved in the addiction. But second, we must focus primarily on the healing that comes with living the gospel out in their lives. Addiction is a lifelong battle, but one that can be overcome when the issue is addressed on a familial level. Pray and work with those around the person addicted, not just the one who is addicted. A strong community is the number one ally in the struggle against addiction. As for the song, I would encourage you to to give it a listen. American football has an incredible way of vocalizing complex human relationships in a way that is very relatable to those who have struggled through them. That's where I feel we grasp the true power of music. So as for this song and this band, I am all in. Give them a listen. Maybe you will be too. Thanks again for joining us for the Bold Speak podcast. Very glad you could be with us. Make sure you connect with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at forward slash the Bold Speak. Also check us out on our website, www.theboldspeak.com. And make sure you subscribe to this channel and all our media channels to stay up to date on the latest news, information, and releases as we give them. Until next time, everyone, I am Anthony Creedon, and that is the Bold Speak.